You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena and pastor of Christ the King University Parish in Missoula, Montana. The stage is set in the gospel today when Mark tells us that the disciples are going through the region of Caesarea Philippi, all the villages throughout that region, which were known for their variety of beautiful temples to all the gods, especially the god of Pan, uh, sort of wild places. So there's all these temples and shrines right at the source of the Jordan River, which is a beautiful sort of rock wall outcropping, uh, little kind of natural amphitheater area. It's a beautiful area. Herod Herod the Great had built the temple to Pan right on that spot, and he'd named the area, the whole region with all those temples after Caesar and himself, so Caesarea Philippi. And so these questions, Jesus is being strategic here. He's not just asking this anywhere. And they're also not just sort of standing around in the area. They're, They're on their way through it, which heads from the source of the Jordan all the way up to Jerusalem, being the final destination of Jesus in his journey. And so from this moment forward, Jesus is sort of telling them, the apostles and the disciples, that that there's no more sort of preaching to the big crowds. From this moment forward, there's going to be a decision that's made on for those who want to follow him. They're going to have to be his disciples or not be his disciples. So he begins from the outer limits, the Jordan, and heads into the center of everything, which is the city of Jerusalem. So he asks the first question, who do people say that I am? It's a pretty normal question. And the answer is varied, comes from, you know, obviously the disciples have been asking around and people have been asking them who Jesus is. And so they say, you know, John the Baptist, Elijah, in another gospel it mentions Jeremiah or one of the prophets, which isn't completely off the mark. You know, people are trying to grasp who Jesus is. John the Baptist was obviously some sort of forerunner of the Messiah. He's sort of in ushering in the new age. Elijah, the same thing. That's why people thought John the Baptist was Elijah, because Elijah was prophesied to come before the Messiah came. He was going to announce the eschaton, the end of time, when when God would come to save his people. And Jeremiah was the prophet just before the exile, the one who was sort of announcing that the current system wasn't working, that it was coming to an end and a new covenant was going to be coming. And so people are grasping that, that Jesus is bringing about a new age. They just can't quite figure out what that means. Because... They, like us, whenever we see something, in order to try and understand that thing, we dredge up some past experience, some past knowledge, and try to put it on that thing in order to sort of identify it and be able to understand it. And so they're trying to do that with Jesus. We even try to do that today with Jesus. If you ask amongst scholars or people of other religions, or just the general milieu that you meet in the streets, who Jesus was. If you just ask them that question, they'll say something like, well, 
he was a great prophet, or he was a holy man, or he was a great teacher of morals that we can all learn from. So in the ancient world, as in as today, we try to sort of hem him in with some identifier that makes sense of him. Uh, but unlike anything else in the world, we can't do that with Jesus. You know, Solomon's great line, which I, I mention all the time, there's nothing new under the sun. The one place it does not apply is with the person of Jesus Christ. We want to make him recognizable in order that we can know where he's from. That's what they always say in the, in the Gospels. Don't we know where he's from? Isn't he the son of Joseph and Mary? Because when we do that, then what, what Jesus says about God and what he says about how we ought to live our life becomes merely his experience of the divine, which is sort of made relative in the world of experiences. And so he just becomes one amongst the great tradition of holy men. And then Christianity just becomes one perspective in the midst of all the other perspectives of who God is in the world, all being on equal grounds. And then when that's the case, then we become the ultimate decider of who and what we do with our lives. You know, we're the, we're the judge of reality. So we can take a little bit here from Christianity. We can take some here from Buddhism. We can take, you know, some Confucianism. Or we can take, you know, some teachings of Socrates and the ancient Greeks. And we can mold them together into a religion of our, of our choice. And, there, and then there's no real demand on who we are and how we live our life. And that's why the second question, question here matters. Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter makes his confession. You are the Messiah, the Christ, Son of the living God, the Holy One of God. So what a beautiful moment of grace to see through this temptation to box Jesus into something that we can understand and to see who he really is, the Son of God. God who has revealed himself to us in order that we don't have to grasp around in the dark, sort of pick amongst the different experiences of God. As disciples, we all need to make this confession. That's what Jesus demands of us. We can't just stand off in the crowd anymore. And to be a disciple is to recognize that Jesus is not just one experience of the divine among many, that he is the Son of God who's come to tell us who God is, the fullness of that. And then, once we confess that, we actually have to do something about it. Something is demanded of us. Our whole lives are demanded of us. And then that, even that, in the end, is only the beginning. That discipleship, once we begin to follow the Lord, because there's this temptation that comes to all of us in every age. It came to Peter right after he made the confession that he realized the implications of what he was saying, and, and then he sort of immediately failed afterwards. Because discipleship, when we follow the Lord, that always ends in the cross. And we don't want it to end in the cross. We despise the cross, as Peter did. And so he goes, and he rebukes the Lord. Because he doesn't know what discipleship means, but he doesn't think it means the cross. 
He says, God forbid that ever happened to you, Lord. And Jesus replies, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. That's a harsh thing to say to the one who just confessed that you're the son of God. So what does that mean? And what does it mean for us? What's that temptation look like? It looks like us wanting to be Christians, wanting to be disciples in the world, and also wanting to be comfortable in the world and live the lives we want to live. Because when we, the second we confess that Jesus is not just a holy man, but he's the son of God, we're, we're professing that as true. That means we're professing that all the other walks aren't true. Everything else that people claim is true, that contradicts with our faith, is not true. And that's a really uncomfortable place to be. It leads to people despising you. It leads to people calling you a bigot. It leads to people calling you all sorts of things. And we have to claim it if we're disciples. Because we actually believe that it's true. We can never be perfectly comfortable in this world and be disciples of Jesus. It demands of us. And so we have to walk with the Lord all the way to the cross. But it's a beautiful life because we believe that it is the truth, that he has revealed this to us. And so this experience of actually just confessing the Lord and following after him, the Lord will never, never leave us abandoned in the midst of it. He demands that we be holy if we follow him. And that holiness will transform the world. So let's confess it and confess it boldly, no matter the consequences.